If you brought a Bible today, I would love for you to turn to Ephesians chapter 5. You know we'll have it on the screen, but if you'd like to turn there, we've been throwing some passages at you like Daniel and 1 Kings and stuff like that that you've probably been reluctant to uh, turn to. But Ephesians 5, a lot of you can do that and preserve your pride while people watch next to you how long it takes for you to turn uh, to the passage. A lot of uh, pride-preserving elements. We've talked about this before. When the offering plate comes around, you ever like point to the person next to you and say, we give online? We give online. You ever do that just to kind of make sure they know? Because they're putting something in, the person here puts something in, and you're like, oh, we give online. God forgive you for your pride. And uh, doing, doing, uh, do, you're supposed to do that in secret, aren't you? Hey, Ephesians chapter 5, we will uh, get there in just a second. Today, I want to preach about uh, just the sermon is called Don't Miss It. It's a standalone. Last week, we preached a standalone sermon called uh, Don't Overthink It. And, uh, Got some good responses from you guys, and I appreciate that because it's just, wow. I mean, just the, what's going on in our thought life can be quite incredible. And you are. You become the sum of your thoughts. Uh, philosophers, William James, and people like that have postulated that. The Scripture in Proverbs 4 and other places uh, gives credence to that, and we can see it in our lives, the importance of thinking. And in that case, last week, to not overthink it. Today, I want to challenge you to don't, uh, don't miss it. Ephesians chapter 5, in just a moment... Uh, we'll look at it. Uh, when I was uh, at a summer camp, there was a camp counselor when we would gather in the assembly after waking up just before, and uh, she would help us uh, by quoting a lot of cheery lyrics uh, to things, and it would end with this, uh, this, um, this line, we're all in our places with bright, shiny faces. Good morning, good morning, good morning to you. We're all in our places with bright, shiny faces, and that just so irritated me her cheeriness that early in the morning. And I discovered that there's a proverb about that. You count it a curse. When a, when a man rises up and blesses you with cheerfulness, you count it as a curse because they're so cheery. And when it comes to sleeping and wakefulness and being awake, I think spiritually our posture is often the same. We'll come to church or we'll uh, scan Caleb or something like that. And we're here's somebody that just sounds a little too cheery. Wake up, wake up. Uh, good morning, good morning, good morning. You're all in your places with bright, shiny faces. The problem is you don't have a bright, shiny face. And the problem is you're not awake. And it's tough to start a day. It's tough to, to live life with a sense of wakefulness. So I want God's Word, Ephesians 5, 14 to 17, to speak over us uh, today. I can do this. One's green, one's red. I got it. They told me I could point it any direction. Here it is. For what makes everything visible is light. Anybody stub a toe? Anybody hit their shin? That's the part of the body God made uh, to, yeah, to let you know when you're, when you're about to run into a couch or something. Therefore it is said, get up sleeper and rise up from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Pay careful attention then to how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of the time because the days are evil. So don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Just for a moment, I hope you're awake enough to do this. I want you to read that silently to yourself. Now, just to let it get deeper into you. This is not the only place in Scripture that talks about wakefulness, about being awake, about not missing it. Here's another passage, Jesus in Mark 13. Therefore be alert, since you don't know when the master of the house is coming. I bet you know he's in the middle of a parable. 
You don't know whether in the evening or at midnight or the crowning of the rooster or early in the morning. Otherwise, when he comes suddenly, he might find you sleeping. And what I say to you, I say to everyone, be alert. Jesus said it. Paul said it not just in Ephesians 5, but in other places. Here's one in 1 Thessalonians 5, 6. So then let us not sleep like the rest, but let us stay awake and be self-controlled. Notice the same phrases, the same meaning that's tied to being awake, being alert, being mindful, uh, being sober. Peter would jump in on the issue. This great promise, casting all your cares on him because he cares about you. Be sober-minded, be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for anyone he can devour. We need wakefulness. We need to be watching. We need uh, to be alert. In biblical times, old and new, they had watchmen for the city. They didn't have uh, the sophisticated military personnel or equipment that we had. They just had men who would sit on the tower wall and watch people. They had walls to fortify their city and people that would watch. And so there's an enemy coming and change of metaphors, there's a lion. Uh, you're, you know, you may be away from the city, there's a lion. So stay together and stay alert and be sober-minded. This is a really important theme in scripture. Jacob wrestled with God. Y'all know that great story in Genesis? J Jacob wrestled with God. Listen to me. It's okay to wrestle with God. If you're going to walk in faith, remember, we don't walk by sight now. We walk by faith. Some of you are so certain about everything, you think you're walking by sight. You annoy me. But we walk by faith, and you, you got to wrestle with God. It's okay to wrestle with God. Jacob did. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. Can I just say that awakening is a gift from God, not an achievement on your own? Awakening is a gift that comes from God. It's not an achievement on your own. Being, being alive, being alert, getting out of your slumber, that's a gift. It's not something that you achieve. It's something that you receive. It's a gift from his hand. There were um, disciples walking on the road to Emmaus. They didn't recognize Jesus after the resurrection. But then he, had, he was at the table with them. And it says this, then their eyes were opened. And they recognized him. And Jesus dashed, strange, a strange part of the story. He dashed after this. But look what it says. They said to each other after Jesus had departed immediately, weren't our hearts burning within us while he was talking with us on the road and explaining the scripture to us? They were near Jesus, but they weren't awake to who he was. He was right there, but they didn't recognize it. Awakening is not an achievement from you. It's a gift from God's hand. The disciples and Jacob and Jesus and Peter and Paul all talk about this awakening and what it means to be open and alert and attuned to life. There is um, a lot of aspects of what this would mean. Sleep is a good thing. Psalm 4, 8. Blessed is the man who sleeps. That you're sleep is sweet it says and I've had trouble at times in my life going to sleep maybe because I've overthought it but I've had my mama pray over me before when I was little and she sent me messages in my even in my adult life about uh, getting sleep of resting your mind so sleep is this wonderful gift but not a slumber where we uh, deny God and we don't we're not awake and attuned to uh, to who he is to what he could be about in our lives and so as we consider this awakening, I want to draw our attention to a couple of important things. 
Uh, I want us to look at culture, what our culture says about, about awakening. There's an artist named Kesha, and uh, when I put this on the screen, I came in for a sound check, and uh, yeah, you're laughing. I came in for a sound check, and we checked the slides and, and all, and uh, our gal up top, Haley, Haley V up there, she said, Robert, is this the artist, Kesha? And I said, yes. She goes, oh, well, you know, she spells it with a dollar sign. I'm like, please oblige. Here's what she said. There's another world that is not far away. Things are not what they seem. Awakening is only the beginning. I'm waiting for some of y'all to correct me on scripture. It's always pop culture. Always pop culture. The preacher who's well into his 50s doesn't know how to spell Kesha properly. There's another world. And listen, she wrote this. Kesha wrote this. Kesha with a dollar sign wrote this after great pain, after a breakup and tremendous loss. And she went to a place in the desert Southwest that's called Salvation Mountain. It's made out of an artist, a really strange artist. I guess all artists are strange, but a particularly strange artist made this mountain called Salvation Mountain out, out of uh, uh, artifacts. And it's built on this Adobe Hill and just really interesting uh, setup there. And she went and she filmed this music video there where she talks about longing for salvation, questioning God's very existence, but hoping that he's real. And, and even in, in this song, asking that the person who broke her heart would also pray to God. Awakening is only the beginning to be awoken, but to also know uh, that there's something else. I'm so proud of my friends who are in alcohol, uh, Alcoholics Anonymous, who fight through a rehab and who are seeking God's healing power over addiction. The 12th step the 12th step of this 12-step program includes the, these words. When a man or a woman has a spiritual awakening, the most important meaning of it is that he has now become able to do, feel, and believe that which he could not do before on his unaided strength and resources alone. He has been granted a gift which amounts to a new state of consciousness and being. He has been set on a path, on which, uh, uh, set on a path which tells him he is really going somewhere. That life is not a dead end, not something to be endured or mastered. In a very real sense, he has been transformed. I've shared with some of you before about an, uh, a man I know who he um, he was on an international flight and he uh, needed sleep and he took an Ambien. He was skeptical; had never taken any medicine. He took, takes an Ambien. He was skeptical of it, and so he took a second Ambien. And then uh, he just wasn't sure nothing happened immediately. I mean, friends had told him he would, you know, it would knock him out and nothing happened. So he took a third and he uh, took it down with a, a glass of wine. Some of you are looking at each other, true story. And uh, he took, he switched it down with a glass of wine. And hours and hours later on this international flight, they wheeled him off in a wheelchair. And he's sitting in the airport terminal, you know, uh, disheveled and uh, He's just drooling down his shirt. Uh, they had taken him. He just, just knew they couldn't wake him up, couldn't wake him up. And they, they take him off for him to wait for a connecting flight. They had to read information in his jacket pocket. But sin can be spiritual ambient for us. Props to our people. Props to my brothers and sisters who are fighting the fight in rehab. Props to those who were saying, this is something, and it's small, it's a small chemical, it's a, a tiny substance, but it has mastered me. And I, I can no longer do it on my own. And every day, I've got friends, every single day they gather in a circle. Every single day, whether they want to or not, and they say, we can't do this in and of ourselves. I can't achieve it, but I can receive it. 
This awakening can be, it's a whole different consciousness. It's a whole different gift for me. Props to them to say that. But how about you? How about you to say and to know and to really do something about it, to say, hey, it's not in and of myself. I've got to look outside of myself for this spiritual awakening. Something, someone bigger than me. Sin is that spiritual ambient. It makes us go to sleep. And when you're asleep, I'm stating the obvious, the world still exists around you. You're just unaware of what's happening. And you, you and I need to be woken up. The word awakening is associated with revivals and that in and of itself could have some negative baggage attached to it. Can I just say, don't let that get you. Don't let that be a trapping that allows you to be distracted with this important message today. I don't want you to miss life. I don't want your future self. If your future self could look back and write you a letter, it would tell you, don't miss it. Be alert, be attuned, be awakened to what is happening in your world now. Well, if you think about habits and rhythms of your life, is there a dullness there? Is there a settling for mediocrity? Is there a coasting through life? Is there a resting in complacency? Is there just a living in apathy that you're being victimized toward? And so this passage says, wake up. Wake up, you're dead. What does that mean? Well, he says in Ephesians chapter 2, you're dead in your sin. You're dead in your sins and your trespasses. But in him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin. We're going to close this service today in just a bit with communion. In him, we have redemption. He loves us so lavishly. He is not scarce in his love. It's an abundant love. It's a lavish love. It's a greater love than you can imagine or think about it. And it's been given to us in Jesus Christ. So be quickened. Be alert, be alive to what God has for us. How dull are you? How, how sleepy are you? And for some of you, we want to make sure we continue to preach the gospel here. If you've never received this gift, if you've never experienced a spiritual awakening, then you're dead in your trespasses and sins. Today, the invitation is for you to receive Jesus, but as many as received him, to them, he gave the right to become children of God. Do you think about children? They play hard. They sleep hard. When they wake up and get going, there's something alive and attuned about them. And that's the, that's the fruit of the gospel. For the one who's been awakened spiritually, that's the tune. Backing up just a little bit, looking at Ephesians chapter 5. We just looked at verses 14 to 17. But there's three ways to walk. Uh, in this passage with all props to run DMC and Aerosmith throwing it back to the 80s the best decade in music and movies um, there, Paul says three times walk this way walk this way walk this way what does he mean what 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 ways is he saying um, and, oh yeah let me go let me go to this real quick Matthew 17 5 uh, there's this story of Jesus um, it's a, it's a point of transfiguration or transformation. When you're awakened, you're transformed. Something's different about your life. My friends in rehab will say there's a new consciousness. There's a greater battle to want to fight the fight. While he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. There was this awakening, there was this transformation, this transfiguration, as most study Bibles call it. And what happened? This is what happened. And Jesus listened to him. 
God the Father, Jesus, the Holy Spirit say unto you, listen to me, listen to me. There's a man named Joshua Bell. He's known as maybe the greatest musician in all the world. That's a hard uh, title to carry, I'm sure, but certainly the greatest violinist in the world. You ever heard of Joshua Bell? And parents, you talk about a, a genius, a, talk about a prodigy. When he was four years old, his parents say that he was putting rubber bands, stringing rubber bands between dressers in his room and playing classical tunes. And he would, he would, uh, he would alter the pitch by moving the dresser drawers as a four-year-old. So they started getting him lessons and buying him instruments. And a few years back, Joshua Bell was a part of an experiment at Metro Station in Washington, D.C. Joshua Bell was a part of this experiment where, and the experts said, hey, he's going to play the, this 1713 Stradivarian violin, which is the most expensive uh, instrument uh, in all the world. I don't, know, I don't know what we got here on the stage. I love, by the way, in between services when kids come in, the 930 parents will go pick up their kids. And if you've ever been to a baseball game, they, they do running the bases. This is like running the bases, the church version, where some of your children will come in and run around the stage. I love it. I think they're really enamored with the lights and the stained glass and steeple and such. And they, they get around the instruments. And I know it makes them nervous. Um, I love it. I think it's great. I don't know what, what uh, monetary value we got on the stage on most Sundays. But uh, not $3.5 million, which is what this 1713 Stradivarian violin was worth. And so they asked him in this experiment at the Metro Station in Washington, D.C., Joshua Bell was to play six of his favorite songs, six of his favorite songs of his repertoire. So the best musician in the world is playing the most expensive mu music uh, instrument in the world with some of the best songs in the world. And guess what happened? The experts said, we better have great security. Washington, D.C., they said, hey, we need to beef up security because people are going to flock to this. Any guesses what happened? People walked past. People walked past. And the video shows that there were some children tugging on the parents' sleeve, going, hey, mom, dad, let's stop. Let's listen. Let's look. But 99.9% .9 of the people on video walked past Joshua Bell that day. And it reminds me of what Jesus said one time by way of metaphor, to what should I compare this generation? It's like children sitting in the marketplaces who call out to other children, we played the flute for you, but you didn't dance. We sang a lament, but you didn't mourn. To be awakened is to come out of your slumber, to be aroused to a new consciousness, and it's to listen to him. It's not to walk by. And it's astonishing to me to think that we can miss him so often in our lives. Oh man, this is big. Oh my goodness, don't walk by. And Jesus said, this generation can be like that. I bet you we can say the same thing about this generation that we're living in. Three things, walk this way. He says, Ephesians 5, 2, walk in love. Our church is about making disciples. But very specifically, and it's on our literature, you hear it from here all the time, but we talk about the kind of disciples that we want to make are people who find faith and express it in love. Galatians 5, 6b. Ephesians 5 reminds me of Galatians 5. Walk in love. The only thing that matters is faith expressing itself in love. If you study the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you look through this, at this um, reality, what does Jesus praise? What does Jesus praise? The only thing that he praises in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is faith. When he sees someone willing to get out on the limb, when he sees someone who wants to take him 
at his word, when he sees someone who won't just listen to him, but wants to act on it. That's what Jesus praises, faith expressing itself in love. Our hope with everything that we do here is that you would find faith. If you have found faith, that you would grow in your faith. Because I don't know if you realize this, people can deconstruct their faith. They can wander from their faith. They can reject their faith. But we want you to have your starting faith to be a staying faith, for you to find faith and express it in love. There's no greater virtue. Paul would write to Timothy, the goal of our instruction is love. If you've ever been to seminary or know people that have been to seminary or just read about seminaries, you'll know that it's good at puffing men and women up with tons of knowledge as they learn Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic and they learn to conjugate Greek verbs and parse the Hebrew text on and on and on. And it can puff up knowledge. And Paul writes and says, the goal of our instructions is not that you would get things right on the eternal theology quiz. The goal of our instruction is that you would love. And that's the fruit that we should bear. So walk this way walk in love. Secondly, walk in the light. Several years back, Susan and I were, you know, just navigating normal marital stuff, and we had different nighttime habits. We still do. We have very, very different nighttime habits, and she was ready for bed, lights off, let's sleep, after she watches several episodes of King of Queens. And then I'm like, I want to keep reading, keep reading. And so she's like, hey, this is, this is a, an issue here. So I got a, a light that I had, one of those coal miner lights. It was a, a light that I strapped onto my forehead, which is really cool. I could, what is it, spelunking or something like that. It made me look like a dork. And uh, you can swim in caves with this light. You can go running. For, that's what, r- the original reason I bought it. I'm like, let me find that light. I strapped it to my forehead. I was so proud of myself. I'm like, you can go to sleep and I can read. But, you know, we keep talking. And so it's funny. I would look over at Susan because, you know, you, when you're talking to somebody, Uh, you look at them and she's like, Robert, you just don't get it, do you? You just don't get it. So she'd say something or I'd say something. Usually me initiate something. I'd just look at her and the light is shining in her face. She's like, this is not how it works. And so we had to learn, I had to learn that the light, it only illuminates what it's focused on. The light only illuminates what it's focused on. Hey, Robert, I love you. I'm ready to go to sleep. Focus on the words you're reading. The call to us of walking in the light is to focus on the word from the one, to listen to him, to focus on his word, to have our gaze, not an occasional glance, but a fixed gaze on him. Psalm 119, thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light unto my path. A light only illuminates what it's focused on. What are you looking at? Where's your gaze set? Are your eyes focused on Jesus today. Walk in wisdom. Walk in wisdom. I heard somebody say that experience is not a really good teacher, only evaluated experience teaches you. Experience in and of itself is not a good teacher, only evaluated experience teaches. Are you looking at your life? Are you learning from your mistakes? Are you confessing your sins? Are you letting others speak into you? For every, one man said, for every ounce of learning a man gets, he needs 10 more, 10 more ounces of common sense so he can know how to do it. Wisdom is knowing how to do it. Can I just say, I say this often to you out of love, man, life is too short to just trust your heart because your heart's going to get it, it's going to get it 
wrong time and time again. Several years ago when my daughter was really young, she had gone to a, a Disney movie and when she came home, I asked her how the movie was. She said it was so good. She told me about it. She goes, but there were a couple of things I didn't like. There's all this follow your heart, follow your heart, follow your heart. And there's a little girl, she goes, we know where that'll lead you, huh, dad? And I'm like, bam, preach it, Haley. Come on with it. She, at least she's been listening. But follow your heart sounds so good. It gives you goosebumps at times because it puts you in the center and it it praises you and makes you God-like. But listen, don't follow your heart. It is deceitfully wicked, Jeremiah 17. It's deceitfully wicked above all else. And so wisdom is hard-earned. Experiences are not going to teach you. Only evaluated experiences. What are you learning? Where are you looking for wisdom? What are you allowing God to say? Here's, here's, the, the, here's wisdom's question. 10,000 years from now, well, I look back and say I wanted to live the way I'm living now. That's wisdom's question. 10,000 years from now, when I look back, will I, will I say then, I want to live the way that I'm living now? That's wisdom's question. Oh, it's not just gaining facts. It's getting common sense. And look at me, church. When happiness points in this direction, but wisdom and integrity and character and courage point in this direction, that's when really smart people do really stupid things. When happiness points in one direction, but wisdom and integrity and courage and character, all that points in another direction, that's when really smart people do really stupid things. Oh God, give us not our fleshly desires, not to choose our fleshly desires in our way, but to choose the way of wisdom. So, let me look at, oh, nope, can't get there yet. To think about time, walk in wisdom, what does it say in Scripture? It says, we'll, we'll close with this at the very end of the service, but it says that, uh, that we're to understand what the will of the Lord is. That part of, uh, of wisdom is redeeming the time. Many of your English translations say redeeming the time. Time is this invisible reality created by an eternal God for the purpose of allowing us to fulfill his will. Time is this invisible reality. Don't you know it's real? An invisible reality created by an eternal God for the purpose of helping us fulfill his will. And the scripture in Ephesians 5, many versions say redeem the time. What does that mean? To redeem the time means we take it back. To redeem the time means we dedicate it for a purpose bigger than ourselves. Blessed is the one who has found a purpose bigger than themselves to live for and people to live with them. That's, that's the supreme happiness. That's the supreme life of wisdom, to find something bigger than yourself to live for and have other people to join you on that journey. Redeem the time because the days are evil. Time is interesting when you get philosophical about it. You know, it's only been a recent invention that we've been calendar and clock conscious. If you look long before, most prior generations didn't even have clocks. They didn't. They, they, they didn't think about time like we think about time. They didn't keep time. Do you know that? For centuries and centuries and centuries, most people who've lived in the world before us, they, they didn't keep time. Their days were set on what? When the sun comes up, that's when the day starts. When the sun goes down, that's when the day ends. And that day could only be extended by candlelight or lantern. 
That's, so the, the, the days were, and the daily grind was not about calendars or clocks as much as it was about the sun rising and retiring and the circling of the seasons. And then a clock was later invention, pr- invented. Prior to that, it was uh, hourglasses and sundials before clocks. And then clocks came along, but clocks, when they were first invented, didn't even have a second hand. They really weren't about um, uh, precision uh, whatsoever. Uh, for most people, even to, to the point in colonial America, there was only one time a day that you knew that you knew that you knew, and that was when the sun was perpendicular to the earth, and that's called high noon. That's when you have the shootout at the OK Corral. It's high noon. And I learned that in America and other places around the world, particularly in America and Europe, that in churches they had something called a church warden, and the church warden would go up and ring the church bell uh, at high noon. Do we have a church warden? Anybody? I think Josh Carver would be our uh, church warden if we had. Well, I nominate Josh to be our, our church warden. But uh, clocks came, and then, uh, you know, after sundials and hourglasses and just the sun and the sky, clocks came, but they weren't precise. But then the Industrial Revolution brought something to us. Uh, factories were invented, and the railroad stations were developed, trains were invented. And with that, there came a need for people to coordinate their schedules. Now, you've been living on the farm. You'd been with your family. You spent a lot of time with family. How does that sound? We're just coming out of Thanksgiving to spend a lot of time with family. Back then, that's what you did. You had less places to run, but you were with your family, and it was the sun coming up and coming down, and the daily grind was not about calendars and clocks. It was about the rising and retiring of the sun. It was about the circling of the seasons. That's what it was about, but then clocks, and they were dull and imprecise, but then there comes precision and in the late 1700s, early 1800s with the railroads and stuff like that, the need for coordinated schedules, uh, pocket watches were developed where people would, you know, they don't want to miss their train, so they'd have a pocket watch in, in, their, um, in their pocket, their top or their bottom, and they would put it in there and look so they could not miss their train to Cleveland or wherever. And then those, those pocket watches were uh, made smaller and they were developed into wristwatches. And those wristwatches we put on. And y'all, wristwatches didn't become popular until the late 1920s or 1930s. There's evidence uh, in the Great Depression of people going to um, barter their watches during tough times. The, those watches had some value, but they were a relatively, a very relative new invention. And then you come to where we are today. We've moved past primitive times, moved into and beyond the industrial age to the information age to the digital age and now precision is everything 357 we have somehow clocks in the kitchen are linked up to a satellite in the sky that's linked to the u.s naval observatory with the directorate of time and it's precise exactly we all know this and i was thinking today as i was walking to church with my umbrella and i was thinking that time keeping times being such a new invention uh, I was thinking about mission trips I've been on. Can some of y'all relate to this? You go to a different part of the world, and you're like, man, you know, I thought church started at 7, 7 tonight. And they're like strolling in at 8 o'clock. You know, church service hadn't even started yet. Uh, Dominican Republic's like that. Different places uh, in Africa, different places you go. It's like they're just not, and that just shows you uh, how this is a relatively new concept. Now, Americans live in a very, we're precise, and we keep time, and we're all about the calendars and the clocks. And so into this world, into this world, this invisible reality created by an eternal God for us to fulfill his purposes. These words speak to us. 
redeem the time because the days are evil. There are two central passages that talk about being custodians of time in the scripture. Much is said about time, but two central passages. One is in the middle of the Old Testament. One is here, the middle of the New Testament. One is a prayer that we offer. The other is a command that we obey. One was written by Moses, and one is written here in Ephesians 5 by the Apostle Paul. And in the 90th Psalm, it talks about, and if you've been to a funeral that I've done, it's hard for me not to quote this, but Moses writes this Psalm, the only one that Moses wrote, David and the other guys wrote all the other 149 Psalms, but Moses wrote this one, and he talks about before the mountains gave birth, before the mountains were born, before they came into being, how old are those hills, how old are those mountains? We write all kind of songs about how old the mountains are. The mountains are old. Before the mountains, God, you are God from everlasting to everlasting. That is the God that we serve. But Moses would write, we are so transient. We're not the eternal being. We have not always existed. And our lives, apart from heaven, will not always exist here. He says we're like grass that grows in the morning and that by the end of the day has wilted. Grass doesn't last long. And that's what your life and mine is compared to. He says in Psalm 90 and verse 12, Lord, teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts to, to wisdom. Redeem the time because the days are evil. Learn how to walk. Walk in love, Ephesians 5, 2. Walk in light, Ephesians 5, 8 through 11. Walk in wisdom, Ephesians 5, 14 to 17. Let God teach you about life. I was considering some expressions of time and made note of some of these. Uh, these are ways that as humans we express time, different sayings that we have. Um, simple everyday speech. Time heals all wounds. Time flies when you're having fun. Time runs out on us. There's no time like the present unless what you're doing constitutes bad timing. When things are running smoothly, they're like clockwork, though it's best not to wait till the last minute or the 11th hour or just to keep things ticking over. Saying that, it's better late than never, at the very least, in the nick of time. Prisoners do time and have time on their hands. Time and again and time after time, a stitch in time saves nine. We kill time and then we have no time to kill. Jesus talked about time very differently. You see, in the Greek language of the New Testament, there's chronos, C-H-R-O-N-O-S. That's chronology. That's just the ticking of the clock. That's just hour by hour. That's just life. That's the clock and that's the calendar. But there's kairos, K-A-I-R-O-S. Didn't have those words up today, but that's, that's the Greek word for not just the ticking of the clock, but the value. It's not minutes, it's moments. It's meaning. It's having value and meaning in life just beyond the ticking of the clock. Here's what Jesus said. John 2, 4, woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming, the hour is coming. They tried to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. Jesus said, John 7, I am with you for only a short time. John 8, 20, no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. Jesus, John eleven nine. 9, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Jesus in John 12, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. John 12, 27, now my soul is troubled and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. 
No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. John 13, 1, Jesus knew that the hour had come. John 17, 1, Jesus looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. For you and I, we've got to decide if it's just chronology, chronos, if it's just the ticking of the clock, or if it's kairos, if there's something that exists beyond ourselves, if there's a purpose and a meaning to it. Teach us, Lord, to number our days that we would apply our hearts uh, to wisdom. As the team comes up and as leaders prepare themselves to gather around the elements today, as we close out our service by coming to the table as a church family. And you were at a very different table on Thursday, but we come to a leaner table today, and we come to a table, I hope you said grace, I hope you prayed your prayer on Thursday. But today we offer a different prayer, thanking him for that his hour came And he was good for it. He struggled with it in the garden, but he was good with it because he surrendered himself to the will of the Father. So I want to ask you today, what's your relationship with time? What's your relationship with life itself? And are you asleep? Do you need a spiritual awakening? Here's the wonderful thing, talking about walking in love and walking in the light and walking in wisdom is that when it comes to spiritual awakening, if you study the life of Jesus and his teachings, that this whole light thing, this awakening, is not just a light that we can see. It's a light that we can be a part of. I am the light of the world, Jesus said in John 8. You know what he said also? You are the light of the world. In our awakening, opening ourselves up, walking into sobriety, walking into alertness, away from dullness, complacency, mediocrity, coasting through life, apathy. Some of you have been victimized and are victimized right now by apathy. Jesus can wake you up to that. And Jesus can give you, he can give you the kairos. He can give you the gift of time that has meaning and moments in it. When I left my hometown Saturday to drive here, I got a bit emotional because my mom is 79 years old. I hope she's not watching this sermon because she don't want y'all to know that. But it's just different saying goodbye to her these days. It's just different. Man, life is short. There are these moments, and don't you want to make the most of them? My challenge for you today is to live in such a way where you don't miss it. Would you stand with me? Father, help us. Help us to rise to the occasion. Help us to be a spiritually a spiritual people who are woken up to spiritual truths. As we say often here, may we remind ourselves regularly that life is greater than death, that salvation is greater than sin, and that what we see is not all there is. And let us not be like the crowd of people who walk in the marketplace and we don't hear the song, we don't dance to the song or lament to the flute that's playing, but that we would rise to the occasion and listen to you. Grant us love, grant us light, grant us wisdom. In Jesus we pray, amen. The instructions are always real simple here. Communion at Fonder Church is never about denominational affiliation. Uh, It's not about church membership. It is about salvation. It is about your confession to say, hey, I am a believer in Jesus Christ. I've made that decision. So 
follow the person in front of you, take uh, two elements. One is the bread representing the body broken for you. The other is the cup representing Jesus' blood shed for you. Take each and make your way back to your seat. We've just got a few minutes left, but in that few moments, when it's right for you, you take both. Uh, as our leaders around the room will remind you, this is Christ's body broken for you. This is Christ's blood shed for you. We do this in remembrance of him.